chapter 3. I like the uh, the progression of those last two songs. I think they're just a great picture of, uh, they represent something that's pretty awesome when you think about it. One song about the the majesty and the just the, the bigness of, of God and how, um, how just transcendent he is, you know. The next one about him being the center of our lives, you know, that nearness. And the cool, one of the cool things about God is that we don't have to pick one or the other, you know. It's not like, okay, you can either have like a big God who controls the universe or you can have um, a, a very close and intimate God. You know, you, we don't have to choose. It's, it's both. And not only is it both, but when you think about the God that holds everything together, literally is holding your life together. Literally, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Proverbs chapter three. We're gonna um, we're gonna kind of continue uh, tonight to look at uh, the life of Jesus a little bit, and um, I can't find Proverbs. <laughs> Should have prepared. That's what the bookmark is for, right? After Psalms? Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Grace. <laughs> Since I've distracted you, let me do something real quick. Uh, there's a, uh, a college student in uh, Austin, Texas named Ingrid, and she's a faithful listener to the uh, Ring Community Church podcast. So y'all, uh, everybody send a very big, warm, we love you, Ingrid, greeting to Ingrid real quick. Go. All right, that was for you, Ingrid. Proverbs 3, holy moment quenched, right? Uh, Proverbs 3, verse 5, um, says this, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Um, we've been talking about, we've been looking at the life of Christ kind of in reverse, starting with Easter. We backed up to uh, Lord's Supper, and then we backed up last week to um, him talking about uh, those who are weary and heavy burdened. um, Come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, and uh, you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And we kind of talked about what that meant, um, had a, a yoke up here and brought up two guys and talked about uh, you would you would have uh, two animals you'd have a, a veteran animal and a rookie animal you put them in the same yoke and the rookie would learn from the veteran and Jesus is basically saying I'm the I'm the veteran you're the rookie you come and learn from me I know what the Father is saying I know what um, I know how he works I know his character I know his nature I know what his voice sounds like I know um, I know how to get through life without sinning. I lived on the earth. I know what it's like to have a body of flesh. I know what it's like to fight temptation and to be rejected and uh, to be betrayed. 
and um, I know what it's like to be a teenager. I know what it's like to be a young adult. I know what it's like to be single. I know what it's like to, I, I've, I know what it's like to be killed. You know, um, I, I've been through everything. So get in the yoke with me and let me, let me, let me show you, uh, let me show you how to live. Let me show you how to make it through and glorify God with your life. And the key to that, um, I kind of just narrowed it down to, to three things. It's always going to involve prayer. It's going to involve scripture. It's going to involve community. I want to look at prayer tonight, and when I want to look at Proverbs 3 as kind of a framework for Jesus' prayer life and the, the, the things that he taught us about prayer. Um, uh, last fall, I guess, we did a whole month about prayer and kind of trying to define it in some different ways and expand our understanding of what it is. And um, I was looking for another way to define it. John Piper defines it like this, and I promise you, I read stuff other than John Piper, all right, but he's just so stinking quotable. Um, this is what, how he defines prayer. Uh, it says, prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God. Just that simple, intentionally conveying a message to God. And he, he has this great explanation, and I want to lay this out there first, because for me, um, it was incredibly freeing to have him explain why he defines it that way. And of course, typical Piper, there's plenty of scripture to back up all this stuff. Um, When he defines it as intentionally conveying a message to God, he goes in this explanation. He says, well, why wouldn't I say that it's it's talking to God? Um, He says, well, because talking involves words. And in Romans 8, it talks about um, our spirits. Our our spirit has these groanings that are, are deeper than words. You know, so he's like, so, like, we do pray with words, but we pray in other ways, too. It's, it's deeper, you know. Um, so when we, are, when we are feeling secure by the, the power and the, uh, the, um, the protection of God, we're sitting there like, wow, I, I feel so safe as his child. I mean, that, that's deep, you know. But that is conveying a message to God as we are resting in that, uh, those kinds of things. Then he goes on and he, and he says, so why would not, why do I use the word intentionally? You know, he said, because we, we convey messages to God uh, unintentionally all the time. You know, when we are rebellious, we are conveying to God, like, I don't care what you think, I'm going to do this anyway because it makes me feel good and I want to, you know. And he's like, so that's not prayer. It's conveying a message, but it would not be in the category of prayer. Um, and those were great points. Here, here's the one that really messed me up in a good way. It was like, uh, like in the Dewey Cox story when he's like, how's your mind? Blown? <laughs> That's how I was. I read it and I was like, you know. Um, he said, sorry, so random. Uh, he said this. He said, why would I, um, why wouldn't I say that it's, it's communicating with God? He said, well, because communication implies that, that I communicate something to God and God communicates something back to me. Communication is two ways. And he says it very simply. He says, and that's not prayer. He said, the Bible never, ever describes God um, communicating to us as prayer. So when that happens scripturally, it's called revelation or it's called illumination. It's never scripturally called prayer. And it was the weirdest thing. Like, all of a sudden, I, when I read that, like, it did blow my mind. 
But I felt so free all of a sudden. Because I think that one of the things with, with prayer that leaves that has left me frustrated for so long is I feel like I have to like, you know, I, I do what Jesus says. I go into my room, I close the door, okay, and I uh, I pray to the Father who is unseen. All right, like I I understand that, but I think there's just there's been this pressure my entire life. I didn't realize this, this pressure of when I go in there, I need to walk out with the answers, you know. If I go and I pray for direction, I need to walk out knowing exactly what I need to do. You know? Or I need to go out, I need to have like a holy moment in there. You know, I need to come out and my hair needs to be white, you know, and I'm like descending from the mountain with tablets or something, you know, every time I pray. And so I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, I was like, there's nowhere in Scripture where Jesus is teaching about prayer and he puts that expectation about like, God necessarily speaking back to us. You know, he says, ask and you will receive, right? Knock and the door will be open to you. But everything that involves, like, prayer, like, specifically, it's about us, you know? And so I started looking, and I was like, example after example, and, and teaching after teaching, it's completely one way. My job as a... A job. My privilege and honor as a Christian, as a child of God, is I, I get to intentionally convey to him all the time. Now, this burden of having to hear his voice or know his will or, you know, like walk out having a holy moment, that's imposed on, on me either by other people or mostly it's by myself, you know. When all Jesus ever says to do is to do what Piper says, to intentionally convey things to him. And sometimes it's asking. Piper names five things. Sometimes it's asking. You know, we ask for direction. We ask for um, clarification. We ask for peace. We ask for wisdom. Um, Sometimes it involves uh, confessing. Like, yeah, I I blew it, you know. I messed up. Um, Sometimes it involves praising Praising him for who he is and his character and his nature. Sometimes it involves uh, thankfulness or thanking him for all that he's done. And sometimes it involves us just, just straight up complaining. And I'm so glad he put that in there because I want to put that on there. But when John Piper puts it in there, you're like, okay, must be right. Uh, like sometimes, you know, there's prayers of complaint. And he elaborates on that a little more about, you know, it's not okay to be a complainer necessarily. But God would rather you bring your complaints to him than bring your complaints to your friends, you know, or to other places and to, like, not bring that to him. And I just felt, I, I just felt like, like the pressure was off, you know. Like, all Jesus wants us to do is just to stay in connection with him. And prayer being that, that just that, that one way idea just constantly 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 asking him thanking him praising him you know just constantly and i think when that that burden of revelation or illumination is lifted it can be a very freeing thing when we look at those verses that say yeah never stop praying pray without ceasing you know And so 
If that's what, what prayer is, and that's what Jesus taught, and that's what Jesus modeled, then that's what we're going to learn when we're yoked together with him. When he says, learn of me, learn, learn from me, we're going to learn the things that helped him navigate his way through life to glorify the Father. And every single time, we will see that prayer is connected to his life. All right, so um, I'm going to stay in Proverbs 3. You guys go to Matthew 7. The first part of Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Let's look at what Jesus says about that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Here's Jesus talking about prayer. And he's like, okay, here's an example. Um, all of you like out here who are evil, all of you, you dads, you know how to give good things to your kids, all right? Even though you're pretty, you're pretty messed up. Now, if you can be good to your kids and you're evil, then how much better is it going to be from the father who is good? See, there's, there's this trust in our prayers. And if prayer is, if it is one way, then isn't that so much of why we pray? Because we trust God with our lives. We trust God with our future. We trust that um, we really are um, hidden with Christ in God, that our lives are no longer our own. And so our, our careers, um, the decisions we have to make, our, our, our money, where we're going to live, what jobs we're going to take, when it's time to have kids, uh, when it's time to get married, when you're supposed to uh, stay single. Uh, I mean, all these things, like, like, isn't trust a huge part of that? And God's like, ask and you'll get it. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek, you will find. And what you find and what is opened and what you are given is going to be good and best always. Isn't that freeing? And so instead of feeling like, like man, I've, I've got to go into um, my prayer closet every day and I've got to, just, I've got to ask God for this stuff, and I've got to hear him. You know, I've got to hear his voice. I've got to hear his direction. I've got to have <clears throat> this holy moment. Um, Jesus, all he really says is just go ask. Go knock. Go, go seek. So you go into your, go into your prayer closet. I'm going to keep using that because it's a fun Christian word to use. But, but it just means get by yourself, okay? And you just begin that, that one-way stuff. Say, God, I've got a big decision to make. I need some direction. 
I need some peace. I have I need wisdom from you. And because you are the giver of wisdom, you are you hold the universe together because of who you are and because of the way I've seen you move and, and because I trust you above all else. God, I'm trusting you to give me what I need. I know you're not going to give me a snake. <laughs> you're going to give me what is good. And so that's where trust the Lord with all your heart is played out in real life. It's by going to him and going to him and going to him. Be freed up from feeling like you have to hear from him all the time. Jesus said, just just go ask. Just keep asking. Just ask, ask, ask. Praise me. Talk good about me. You take care of the one-way part, all right? Let me take care of answering it. And so that's a part of how we convey our trust in him with all of our hearts, is in that yoke we are praying. The next verse in, uh, in Proverbs, it says, so it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and together with that is, and lean not on your own understanding. That's one that we don't like very much. Look over at uh, Matthew 26. We're not a big fan of that one because our understanding sounds so good when we are asking God and we are not hearing anything, doesn't it? When you're like, man, my boss needs to know something by like Thursday and it's Wednesday night, like 1130. You haven't written anything on the wall yet, (laughs) you know? You've been faithful to ask. You've been faithful to ask. But coupled with trusting with all your heart is this idea of not leaning on your own understanding. When you lean on your own understanding, you can't trust him with all your heart. You can't do both. Verse 26 is where we see Jesus praying this in his own life. Verse 39, going a little farther He fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Same thing, 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. All right? Prayed one way. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. One way prayer, okay, both times. His understanding is like, this is not going to be good. If there's any other way, let's go with that. But he's not relying on that. He's, lying, he's relying on the will of the Father being carried out. That's what a refusal to rely on your own understanding looks like. He's about to be killed. He's about to go to the cross. We see in Jesus' life, let me rattle this off for you, other ways that he didn't rely on himself. In the book of Luke, we see him praying after his baptism. We see him praying after he started having all this success in ministry. He became kind of famous. Um, We see him uh, praying uh, before Peter confessed him as uh, the Christ. We see him praying before he chose the 12 disciples. 
We see him praying before he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. We see him uh, praying before um, he uh, led the teaching on the Lord's Prayer. We see him praying twice while he's hanging on the cross. Uh, we know that he was 40 days in the desert, was fasting and, and praying. Mark chapter 6, uh, after he did, uh, the loaves and the fishes, uh, he prayed. Um, at all these significant points in his ministry, we see prayer being a very important part coming after that. Uh, it's coming before that, sometimes coming after that. And that's just the glimpse in Scripture that we get. And there are stories where the disciples were like, where's Jesus? We don't know where he is. And like, oh, he's off praying. Yeah. Because when you're not praying, your own understanding of things starts to sound really, really good. And your own logic starts to kind of sound like God's logic. But when we are praying, and when we are, are, are seeking him, and when we are conveying those things to God, that's, that keeps us from lying, relying on our own understanding. And we can look at our lives, and in those times where things are falling apart, Guess what? Your prayer life is not, it's not intact. That's why. We've crawled out of that yoke. We stopped denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him every day. We're not connected to the vine, so we're a branch that has no life flowing into it. And so that's so we see Jesus trusting the Father with, with all of his heart, and this is how he keeps from leaning on his own understanding. It's through prayer. Last uh, the, the next part of Proverbs three is acknowledge him in all of your ways. Turn over to Matthew chapter six. Acknowledge him in all of your ways. Here's Jesus in Sermon on the Mount, and he's, he gets to this section on prayer. And he kind of crushes some of the ideas that have been out there about prayer and introduces some new ones. And he sets up this, this model prayer not to be recited mindlessly, but as a, a framework for them to go with. And it was uh, just a very interesting uh, history behind it and everything. Um, this is what he says, verse 9, chapter 6. It says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. All right? We're talking about acknowledging him in, in all of our ways and how that plays into our, our prayer life. Here's where, here's where that consumer-producer idea comes into play. All right? See, when we are consumers, we get very frustrated by prayer because we're used to, like, like we get answers right away. Especially, like, with the Internet, you know, when you're like, what is the chief export of Nova Scotia? I can tell you in, like, 30 seconds. We're used to having answers to anything that we want. So prayer seems really, really, like, inefficient. And, you know, we talked about that during that series on consumerism. Um... And, and, and so here's the deal. Trust the Lord with all your heart. 
Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of your ways. But Jesus sets up the model prayer and takes care of that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is what, uh, again, Piper, okay? Um, this is what he says. Um, it's, I'll just read it to you. It says, the first thing that Jesus tells us to, tells us to ask God to do, the first thing, the head of the list, above all others, most central, most supreme, most overarching, most all-encompassing, the first thing he tells us to ask God to do is that God would cause his name to be hallowed. The first and all-pervasive, all-influencing, all-controlling concern in prayer is to plead with God that God would make his name supremely valuable in the minds and hearts of people. All right? Anybody pray like that? Yeah, me neither. Says the phrase, hallowed be your name in Matthew 6, 9 means, quote, cause your name to be hallowed, end quote. It is a plea that God would do something about his name. It is a plea that God would cause it to be hallowed in our hearts and in the hearts of all people. And what does hallowed mean? It means literally sanctified. What does that mean when it refers to the infinitely holy name of God? Here it is. It means that we are praying that his name be set apart in people's hearts and minds and lives as the infinitely great and beautiful and valuable reality that it is. See, Jesus prayed this way. And if, if our prayers were to begin that way, with the exaltation of the supremacy of God in our lives... Imagine how differently the rest of our, our prayer time would be. When we begin, and that's what we're just throwing up to heaven, you know, it's just this how amazing you are, and I want your name to be the, the, the cry of my heart, and what people look at my life, I want, that's what I want them to see. And so, like, I just want you to be glorified because you are the, the creator, you are su- supreme over all things, you hold everything together, and I want my entire life to be about your glory and your glory alone. God, I really need to know what's going to happen in this job situation. Imagine how differently your heart, where your heart is so differently, you know? Because then you're like, and you know what? In light of all that stuff, whatever your will is, if I get this promotion, awesome. Uh, if I don't, you know what? Then, then you'll be glorified some other way. And see, when we're praying that way, we stay in that flow of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. When we're not praying about stuff is when we're going like, oh, man, that raise would help me so much. I get, like, that extra money would be great, you know. That's when we start relying on our own understanding instead of his. And so what we see is, like, we see Jesus modeling and teaching these ideas about trusting God and not trusting yourself and acknowledging him in all things above everything else. And the last part of, of in Proverbs says, and he'll make your path straight. NIV says, he will direct your paths. See, that's his job. He likes that, that job. He loves it. And he's just saying, look, you just trust me. Don't trust yourself. You live for my glory and my glory alone. You know what? I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly what job you need to take. 
I'll tell you exactly when it's time to get married. I'll tell you exactly how to, how to deal with your finances. I, I, I'll tell you exactly if, if you need to go and do summer missions this summer. I'll tell you exactly what to major in. I'll tell you exactly what to do about how to mend this friendship. I'll tell you exactly what to do in your marriage to make it click more. I'll tell you exactly how to be the spiritual leader of, of your house. I'll tell you exactly how to conquer that sin issue you've been wrestling. I mean, I'll tell you everything. That's life in the yoke. You just trust me. You pray about everything. Everything. And I find that incredibly freeing. That I don't have to know God's will after every prayer session I have. But you know what? The prayer sessions that we have really probably shouldn't have like a start and stop. It should be continual. And you know what? I don't know how to do that. But Jesus does. And when I'm yoked together with him, I'm learning from him how to pray without ceasing. I'm learning how to pray in the garden with the guards stomping toward me. Your will be done. I'm learning how to pray before big decisions like he did. And learn how to pray after successes like he did. I'm learning how to trust in the goodness of God like he did. The life that we want is possible in his yoke when we learn from him, when we stay connected to him. Let me close with this real quick. Every time Jesus prays, talks about praying, he refers to God as Father. And in Mark, he calls him Abba. And you've probably heard uh, sermons about that meaning daddy, you know, and that being a term of endearment. And I did some homework on it. I got all these books, Pastor Appreciation. And so I have all these books. And they're awesome. And I read them. And I was looking at one, and it was explaining that term a little bit beyond Abba means daddy. And it was saying how that is a, is a term, um, first of all, that's not limited to young children. It's a term that conveys intimacy and conveys reverence. And how the reason Jesus the Son communicated with God the Father by calling him Abba and all the other times calling him Father was because that's, that was the experience of his relationship with him. That reflects the intimacy and the reverence and the respect that he had for him. And the only way I could think about it was um, I remember uh, the, first, the first time I was dating somebody and brought them to my grandparents' house. It was like a big step on that side of the family. And then it didn't matter if you were 11. They were like, oh, they're getting married, you know. So it was a big deal, and you didn't do that casually. And uh, I was in high school, and there was a family barbecue deal or whatever. And um, it was the first time I was faced with the reality that my, you know, friends or the girl that I was dating, or whatever, would have to. They would meet my grandparents, but then there was that like, what? What did they call them? You know? You know what I'm saying? Kind of weird. Never thought about it. And I remember 
like, and even like still now, like sometimes my mom uh, would she would refer to my dad's mother as uh, Mrs. Causey. And when they were when they first started dating, that's what she would call her, Mrs. Causey, you know. And um, at some point, my mom stopped calling her Mrs. Causey and started calling her what my dad called her. We uh, we called her Mama. Everybody called her Mama. And so at some point, when the relationship between my mom and my dad got to a, a point, and then through my dad, my mom's relationship with his mom got to a point, she went from being called Mrs. Causey to being called Mama. Does that make sense? It didn't happen right away. And I remember bringing the girl I was dating over there, and my mama said, just call me Mama. I was like, uh-uh, no. One, I was like, no, 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 y'all slow down. But also because I was like, no, 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 see, you are not mama to her. You are mama to me. That was a, a term kind of like Abba, you know. It was a term of intimacy and of reverence. And the only way that the girl I was dating was going to get to call her mama was through me. And the reason why my mom calls her mama was through my dad. And the reason why we call God the Father Abba is through Jesus. And we look at him and we see that intimacy and that reverence and that respect and that dependence and that just complete, just that utter reliance in all these areas of life that Jesus had on the Father. And that is, that is life in the yoke for you and I. Is that we are learning how to call him Abba, learning how to call him Father. Not independent of Christ, but through Christ, through the yoke. Is where that intimacy and that relationship comes from. And I was asking myself, I wonder what, where I am in the, in the shift. If my mom shifted from Miss Causey to Mama, I wonder how intimate my walk is with God to where I'm getting, I, I want to get closer every day to really knowing him as Abba, you know, to really having that intimacy and that reverence for him. And that happens in the yoke. It happens when we learn to trust him with all our hearts and to lean not on our own understanding and we are acknowledging him in all areas of life. And when Jesus says, go left, we go left. And that's the straight path. I hope that you are encouraged tonight to pray. I think too often it's we get that finger pointed at us. You need to be praying more and how, how you know, this, 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 and it's like we know that, you know? We know we need to pray more. Like the disciples, they asked him, they said, teach us how to pray. Jesus says, okay, I will. Not only will I teach you how, I will enable you to do it. And that's the same for us. Let's pray together.